0: Revelation chapter 15 says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, And over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the serpent of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy? For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple, the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven, was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breastplates girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto these seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke, From the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So we come to this shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. There is a, I believe, broken hearted brevity to this chapter. The wrath of God come to completion. Filled up. Humankind. No, no redemption left. No one that will, will turn after this. The heart of our Father. Broken. Short. Concise. Brief. He puts this before us. As we study through this chapter, we have... As we go through this sign... Great and marvelous, the sea, the song, and the sanctuary brought before us. Um, there's a fullness to the different things. He says these angels have them the, the, the filled. The wrath of God is filled. It's come to completion in this chapter. Number seven, the number of completion, mentioned eight times in this chapter. Uh, just an interesting picture, great pathos in it as we look through it and see the things that are here. And there are these seven bowls of God's wrath that are put before us. Now, though this is the heavenly scene again, behind the scenes, Chapter 16 will show us what happens on earth relative to these seven bowls. Chapter 17 18 will show us the judgment of Babylon relative to these bowls. And then chapter 19, the actual return of Jesus Christ to earth and Armageddon relative to these bowls. This is the completeness of God in, in regards to dealing with the sin of mankind and rebellion and so forth. Some very important things as we go through, because you know, you and I have friends, or we know people who say, well, if God's a God of love, how could this be happening? And if God's a God of love, how could this happen? And if God's a God of love, and it's almost like, well, God's not fair. If he's up there, I have a beef with him, and I'm going to take him to whatever the court is up there I can take him to. It's not fair. No, this kind of puts it all in front of us and says, he's not fair. He's not fair because he put his son to death in our place. He's not fair because he loves us and we don't deserve it. He's not fair because he's given us what we could never be worthy of or earn in and of ourselves. But he's not fair for the reason unbelievers accuse him. This sign now is brought before us. This is the third sign, chapter 12, verse 1 is the first great sign, and it's this woman clothed in the sun and the moon and the stars and so forth. And you work through that and you realize this is the nation of Israel. God's plan was clothed with Israel through the ages. Um, Then the second sign, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, is the great red dragon, another sign, which gives us the, the, the dark forces that have been operating behind the scenes through human history. And in this chapter, we have this third sign of these seven angels who you find here seven times. Uh, verse 1, verse 5, verse no, verse 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, chapter 15, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1. And then in chapter 21, verse 9, uh, John says, one of the seven angels came and showed me the holy city. So he's gotten to know them. They're memorable. He recognizes them, and we will as, as well, I'm sure. But these seven angels step forward in the scene, and it says, this is a great, a marvelous, this sign understand John uses specific words, he uses them in the gospel, his gospel as well. A sign is not just something that's visual, though it is. But the way the word works out in the grammar is it demands to imply something. It's not just a sign to be seen, it's not merely visual, but it makes a statement. It says something. And these seven angels with these seven bowls of God's wrath, there's a statement. There's something being said as they come forward. And and John says, this is great and marvelous. Only time in Revelation, those two words are put together, great and marvelous, verse 1 and verse 3. And you have John saying, I saw this. They stepped out onto this sea of glass mingled with fire. They're clothed in white. It's brilliant. It's glistening. Golden breastplates. He says they step out, and you think, what did that look like? John's saying it was like this. It It was as this. He's trying to tell us, because we have this sea of glass, like crystal. What is the depth of it? It's not a pond. It's a sea. How broad is it? How large is it? What are the depths of it? What can you plumb the sea of glass? And it says now it's mingled with fire. These are two things that can't commingle in our existence. But in heaven, this sea is mingled with fire. So what does this clear as crystal see with these great depths, with these golden lights shining through it from the flames that are there? And these seven angels step forward with all this white regalia in there. Now what did that look like? John says it was a great, marvelous sign. He says as they stepped out and they have the seven last plagues. Now they're the last plagues, he says, for the reason in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's come to its completion. It serves no purpose after this, as it were in regards to humankind and what he's doing. In them is filled up the wrath of God. Thumos, his fury, his anger. In chapter 16, it says the fierceness of his wrath. Chapter 19, it uses the same phrase, the fierceness of his wrath. So there's a fierceness attached to this thumos, this anger of God... And he says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast. Now there's four overs here in the King James. It's a song of victory because they've got victory one over the beast, two over the image, three over the mark, and four over the number of his name. And they're standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Uh, the only two musical instruments in the book of Revelation are harps and trumpets, but trumpets are never musical in the book of Revelation. They're always a sign or a calling or the marking off a period. Really, the only musical instruments in the book of Revelation are harps. Uh, Isaiah says, we will sing and play stringed instruments in the house of the Lord Forever. This is a lyre in the Greek, which is ten strings, and it was known for its sweetness. Psalm eighty two, Psalm eighty-one, verse two, talks about the sweetness of the sound that they make. So you can imagine a multitude. Are there billions? We don't know. There not only you figure the population of the world now is eight billion, how many are gonna end up on this sea of glass and be saved? Because of the rapture, the one hundred and forty four thousand, the two prophets in chapter seven we see multitudes, multitudes, white linen standing there washed in the blood of the lamb. What is this crowd? And it isn't just those in chapter six verse nine, if you remember, that he saw souls under the altar saying, How long, O Lord, before you bring vengeance on the earth for us and, and, the, and he said you rest for a while, he gave them white robes, rest for a while. These things will be taken care of, but then it identifies part of the larger group and it says they're the ones who have gotten victory over the beast, over his mark, over the number of his name. These are second half tribbers. These are great tribbers. This second, this this group, and they're standing there on this sea of glass, innumerable multitude, with harps. Imagine what that must sound like. Imagine what that must sound like. They're all this sweet sound. They're there. I'm glad we have a musical faith. They're there standing on the sea of glass, and they've gotten victory. Look, there was a cost to that. There's a cost to victory in our lives as well. Chapter 12, verse 11 had said, "...and they overcame the Antichrist by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They loved not their own lives unto death." And Then chapter 13, verses 9 and 10 say, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that is led into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Chapter 14, that we just finished, verses 12 and 13, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Again, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. This is in the great tribulation. Yea, saith the Spirit, and remember, it's the only time the Spirit interrupts in the book. He's in chapter 22, says the Spirit, and the bride say, Come. He's after each of the churches. and uh, year, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. The only place the Holy Spirit interrupts in the whole book is here, and he says, Amen. Yea, saith the Spirit. The reason is that these saints, that they can rest from their labors, their works do follow them. So there's a cost. These are saints who laid down their lives during the tribulation, who were martyred, who were killed, uh, persecuted by the Antichrist and so forth. They're standing around the throne, and there's no whys. Why, if God, if you love me, why could you why'd you let this happen? And if you this but then how could I how could you have let this there's none of that's going on. We're gonna see it. They're standing on the sea of glass, they have the harps of God, how wonderful to think about that. And they're singing this song of victory. Verses 3 and 4 are going to tell us the song now. Please learn the words. There's a song in chapter 5 you need to know. You can learn the song now, right? There's a song here. Learn the words. I don't want to see you standing around going, don't say I'm from Calvary. (laughs) And they sing here, verse 3, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, here's the words, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Your, yours my say, King of nations, a manuscript argument. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord? And glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So John says, I hear them on this sea of glass and fire with all of these harps, with these seven angels, and they're singing the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. Scholars argue ad nauseum, is it one song or two? Who cares? When we get there, are you are going to complain? It's, 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 and it says the song of and the song of. So I learned to count to two in preschool, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, the song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea, Exodus 15. The song of the Lamb is sung on the glassy sea, glass and fire. The song of Moses... Exodus 15 is the first song in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible. The song of the lamb here is the last song in the Bible, no more after this. So all of our experience is contained between these two songs, remarkably. The song of Moses is the song of triumph over Pharaoh in Egypt. The song of the lamb is the song of triumph over the beast and Babylon. The Song of Moses is a song that talks about God's ability to bring his people out. The Song of the Lamb is a song about God's ability to bring his people in. And how incredible is this going to be as, as, as we you know, are witness to this. We have, will have been raptured and so we will be eyewitness to this as it takes place. And these are the points of the song. First of all, it says, thy works. Then it says, thy ways. Then it says, you are holy. Then it says, your purposes are manifest. So you go through and and see the remarkable things it says here. It says, great and marvelous. Again, that's two times in the book of Revelation, both times in this chapter, verses 1 and 3. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God almighty. God Almighty, nine times in the book of Revelation, only one other time in all the New Testament, Second Corinthians six, eighteen. So the the look harking back to Abraham and El Shaddai, God Almighty, nine times in the book, and here it says the first thing that's noted in the song are about great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, the works of the Lord. You know, again, as we go through these things, we look at the world we're living in. We look at the hatred. We look at the pandemic. We look at the prejudice. We look at the war in the Middle East. We look at the hatred among people. We look at it. And sometimes you look and think, if God's a God of love and He's in charge of anything, you know, let alone everything, how can this be going on? There's no, there's no complaining here when the song's being sung standing in glory, looking back. I mean, how many times in our lives do we find ourselves getting into a mess, which is kind of a microcosm of the the bigger picture, and we say, Lord, if you love me, how could you let this happen to me? Lord, if you love me, Lord, I'm your pastor. This is bad for your reputation, letting this happen. I would never say that, but I think that, (laughs) And then you get to the other side of it, and you go, wow, Lord, only you could get glory out of this. Only you could turn this into a blessing. That's individually. This is going to be the big picture. Great and marvelous are thy works. None of them were wrong, none of them were incomplete. They're marvelous. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. No one else was ever in control, no one else was ever pulling the strings. No one else was ever calling the shots. You alone are the Lord God Almighty. That's his works. Then it says, just and true are thy ways, O king of saints. Again, you might say king of nations. Just and true are thy ways. You know, it tells us in Psalm 103, it says this in verse Seven. It says, he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts, his works, unto the children of Israel. It says, you know, what he demonstrated, turning the river to blood, turning the staffs into serpents, turning the dust into lice, you know, the darkness over Egypt, the light in Goshen, the Passover night, the parting of the Red Sea. He made known his works to the children of Israel but he made known his ways to Moses. Moses wasn't content with his works. Moses saw all those miraculous things, and then Moses said, Lord, let me behold your glory. I know it's not in parting an ocean. I know it's not in turning water to blood. There's something else, Lord. Let me behold your glory. And the Lord's answer is, Moses, you stay here, and I will make all of my goodness pass before thee and he reveals his grace and his love to Moses as he stands in that place those are his ways those are his ways true and just they are dependable Th- they're fair those are his ways look we all have a way it says in, in uh, Psalm 119 wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed unto thy word O Lord we have a way I've raised two daughters, two sons, and they all have a way. The scripture has to be the standard in all of their lives. The Holy Spirit has to lead in all their lives. Their their redemption, their salvation is the same. But in God's genius, they're all individuals, and they all have a way. My oldest daughter, she just has a way about her. Way. She's different. You know, you have to take that in consideration the warp and the woof of the character. God, in His genius, does that. Uh, my youngest daughter has a different way. She's she, many things obviously the same because they love the Lord, but she has a different way about her. My oldest son he has a way. He's a way. My youngest son has a different way. It's strictly his. It's interesting to watch. My wife has a way about her. It's taken decades to start to break the code <laughs> of that way. You know, Honey, do you want to go to the mall? Yes. It's because I've broken the code. That really is. You're going to the mall whether you like it or not. So, you know. But she has a way. Oh she has a way about her. You know, you know people, there's a way, and if they act contrary to their way, you think, What's going on here? Well it says, Just and true are thy ways. We see your works. You made known your works to the children of Israel, but you made known your way to Moses. Something deeper of your heart. And his ways, it says, are just and true. O king of saints. He's our king, isn't he? Our king, his ways are just and true. They're dependable. Then it talks about the fact that we should then fear, not torment, not grovel, but who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. We're going to do that. The reason? For thou only art holy. Holy. He's holy. And look, the word only qualifies it. He only is holy. You know, not the holier-than-thou person that sits next to you. They ain't holy. Not the legalist. They ain't holy. Thou only art holy. Holy means to be distinct, to be separate. Two things that exist in the universe that which is God, and that which is not God. That's you and I. Your teenager may think they're God, they're not. (laughs) The only two things that exist are the creator and the creation, period. That makes him distinct. It says, thou only art holy, separate, but his love is separate. We can't judge it by human love. We have to step out of the boat on the water. We have to receive it by faith. His designs and his purposes are holy. They're great and marvelous. What he does, his works, his ways are just and true. And we're going to bow down and worship him because he's distinct from every other source. He alone is holy, it says. And all nations are going to come and worship before you, finally it says, because your judgments are made manifest. What it says here is ultimately his purposes are going to come out in the open. You know, we look at the world today, man, is it out of control? We look at what's going on. Many of us have been hurt by many things in the last year. Many of us you know, have seen loved ones go to the, the, the field with the military. They, uh, many of us have just here in our own existence said, oh, not this again. Many of us have lost loved ones. Many of us have had the, you know, COVID-19 go through our families. All of these things. But it says it says here that all nations are going to come and worship before him because ultimately his works, his righteousness, it's going to be, Manifest. His purposes are going to be brought out into the open, and we're going to look back. This crowd doesn't complain about a single thing. They look back and realize you were wise in everything. When I thought everything around me was going out of control, you were wise, your purposes, your ways. When I was putting my head on the block so the Antichrist could cut my head off, you were wise, they were your ways. When I was being persecuted or beaten, You were wise. Your purposes, your judgments are made manifest. This song, his works, his ways, his holiness, and his purposes. And it's it's relative to the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Then we go from the sign to the sea to the song, now to the sanctuary. And it says, after that I looked... And behold, that's imperative, you need to think about this, the temple, naos, naon, the sanctuary itself, the holy of holies, the temple of the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony in heaven, was open. Now how remarkable. This is the Moses would go to the tent of meeting. This is the tent of testimony, which is the holy place in heaven. It's open. And John says, "I see it." Really interesting. You know, Moses was told when he made the tabernacle and the workers made it, "See that thou make it according to the pattern that thou hast seen in heaven." When David was given the blueprints for the temple, he was told to make it according to what he had seen. In heaven, even down to the orders of the priests and the musicians and so forth. Here we see then the sea of glass. We see this temple. We see these angels, you know, with white garb and breastplates, golden breastplates, standing out in front of the temple. We see multitudes with harps worshiping. We see all of the tabernacle and the temple was a microcosm of what we see here in heaven. This is the reality that it's all copied from. We're going to see it soon, guys. You believe that? You're going to see it. We get there, don't say, what's that? You know, shh. Weren't you listening? That's why you should have read ahead. It was in heaven and it was open. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us about this. And the seven angels came out of the temple, the holy place, having seven plagues. They are clothed in pure and white linen. It's glistening. And having their breast girded with a golden girdle, a golden breastplate over this white glistening linen, each of them, these seven, having a plague, As they come out. And one of the four beasts. Now this is the four cherubim. One of the cherubim. Give unto the seven angels. Seven golden. King James says vials. Because it comes from a similar word in the in the greek but it doesn't give us the picture vials in our culture are small this should be bowls like the bowls that the priest would pour the blood into and so these are big and it says it says one of the four beasts the cherubim then gives unto the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever The word full there is the idea of brimming over. There's no more room. No room for anything else. The interesting thing is the angels have the plagues, but now they're going to add the wrath of God to the plagues that they have. And they're going to be poured out that way. Look, it says, remarkably, in verse 8, it says, and the temple holy place, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Shekinah, no doubt, the glory cloud. And no man was able to enter into the temple, look, until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. How much time is left here, you know, uh, in the second half of the tribulation as these things are being realized the interesting picture to me as we as we look at this God retracts himself from everything. God he steps back into the temple, the holy place, the center of the universe where all worship is centered. He steps back into it and the smoke fills the temple and no one is able to get near him because he's brooding. He's brooding. You know, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And from Cain and Abel, there was a demonstration of substitutionary atonement. All the lambs of the Old Testament look forward to Jesus. Christ came, tax gatherers, sinners, harlots are being saved and transformed into God's children. And God's plan of redemption right now, today, as we're here, is available. But there comes a point where no more redemption is going to take place. No one else is going to get saved. As these vials are poured out, chapter 16 tells us people are shaking their fists at the sky and blaspheming the name of God. They know where it's coming from. There's no more intercessor. Christ is no longer here making intercession for the saints they're gathered. There's no more prayer for the lost at this point in time. It says in Lamentations chapter 3, Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. God the Father withdraws. His heart is broken. He's brooding. He's done everything within his divine power to turn the hearts of free moral agents to himself, his image bearers. His plan has been great and marvelous. His ways are just and true. He's going to be glorified because he's holy, him alone. And his judgments, his purposes, they're going to be displayed. Everybody's going to see him. There'll be no accusation of, you know, an angry God or, you know, the, the, the things that people say. No, no, there's only going to be a loving God with a broken heart. Because he's done everything in a time and eternity and in his almighty power. In his ways to turn the hearts of men and women to himself. And it finally comes to the point, the climax of wickedness. It says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked in Ezekiel. Turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die, saith the Lord? Jesus, when God puts on skin, Luke 19, riding into Jerusalem, convulsing, sobbing, saying, if you'd have only known this thy day, the things that belong to thy peace, now your house is left unto you desolate. And he talks about the women and the children and the slaughter, the things that are going to come. Peter tells us, it's not God's will that any should perish, but they should all come to the knowledge of the truth. Those are his ways. Those are his works. Those are his longings. When it finally comes to this measure of finality, he withdraws himself. If you look in chapter 16, verse 17, it says, the final angel, when the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It's done. It's done. It's done. He will not force you into his kingdom. What kingdom do you want? Go home and watch the news and see if that's the kingdom that you want. kingdom of anarchy, the nations like the raging sea, like a cauldron. Or do you want peace? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want to know that even though you don't deserve to go to heaven, you never will deserve to go to heaven. You can never be worthy of it. You can never earn it. Those standing in heaven are saying, thou art worthy. No man, it says, was found in heaven, on the earth or under the earth, worthy to open the seals Only the Lamb. And today our substitute is there. He took the bullet for us. He went to the electric chair for us. He took our place in death that we might have his place in life. 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem, there's an empty tomb. It's a matter of history. All history, A, D, and B, C. They're trying to do now, you know, before the common error because they can't stand the idea before Christ in the year of our Lord out of they they So they're doing stupid stuff now. All time is measured around this one individual who came and he died in our place. That's the heart of God. That's great and marvelous. That's just and true. His works have been made manifest. If you've never come to Christ, we want to challenge you today. Look, what do you got going? You, you, whatever you think of God, we see here that there, he is broken-hearted over your life. He doesn't want to see you lost. He doesn't want to see you cast off into eternity in outer darkness forever and forever. That is in his way. That is isn't his works. It is in his holiness. If you've never turned to Jesus Christ, we're going to ask you to do that Today, Not to Calvary Chapel, not to a denomination, not to religion, but to relationship. We're going to ask you today to come to Christ. Musicians are going to come. We're going to sing the last song. And as we sing this last song, look, there's a broken-hearted God who's holy. He's almighty. He rules over all. But he's not going to force you. He's going to invite you. Decide on forgiveness, and the door of glory and joy and rest and hope are open before you. Decide you want to do it on your own. It's darkness, frustration, eternity without light. Make a choice, not if God's a God of love. No, no, no. I'm a God of love, he says. This is what I've done. I've made every provision. There's no one in greater pain than I'm in because people are not taking advantage of it. I've offered it. Either turn to it or turn away from it. Turn to Jesus. If you haven't done that, as we sing this last song, we're going to ask you to come down and stand here in front of the stage. We don't want anything from you. Not your address, not your email. We don't want any of that stuff. We're not going to give you your offering envelopes. We want you to come down and pray with us. Jesus said, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. I know that's the tenses. That's a lifelong process, but it begins at a point. Let today be that point. Let it be the point when that journey with him begins. Let's stand. Let's pray. I encourage you not to run out. Stay here and pray with us, please. And if you've never been saved, we want you to come. We want you to get out of the pew. If a friend came with you, you're going to say, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'll get out with you. You come down. We want to give you a copy of the scripture, some things to read. You come. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord. And I'm kind of going through this thing trying to convince people, but that's an exercise in frustration for a human, Father. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. And I probably don't say any of this the right way anyhow. But, Lord, you speak to human hearts. You convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, Lord. That is your work. And, Father, we think of those here that have turned away from you and turned away from you and turned away from you and how your heart has broken over them. How your love is more than anything they could ever imagine, Lord. Would you draw them today, Lord? Would you allow us to see new brothers and sisters born into your kingdom, Lord? And for the rest of us, Lord, these things in this chapter, Lord, would you give us the grace to make them our own, Lord? You know each of us, you know our ways. So we put these things before you, Lord, as we lift our voices. Let it be a sweet savor before your throne, Lord. Rising off of Philmont Avenue here, let it bless you. We look to you, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.